0: church, how y'all doing? All right. Listen, it's so great to be with you guys here as we are in part six of our seven-part series seven, going through the book of uh, the letters in the book of Revelation that Jesus is writing to his church. But before we jump into that, would you just join me in welcoming all of our campuses that are watching throughout the state of New Jersey? We are so excited that you guys have been with us on this journey. Now listen, if you're new here, uh, we have been looking at Jesus' final words to the church in his letters in the book of Revelation, and we've actually been going through this uh, not just on Sunday mornings, but all of our campuses, we are actually all going through this together via our group guide. So if you're in a small group, you know that we are actually doing this series together in a small group, and uh, we've got some incredible feedback. In fact, how many of you have a book like this in here right now? Go ahead, across your campuses, just raise it up, la- nice and high. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for bringing them. I know some of you are taking notes and and you bring them into your group and you're able to kind of discuss it. And we've been getting so many emails from you and so much interaction on social media just about what God is doing in your groups. It's been really exciting. So thank you so much for sharing those with us. Um, I've actually had the privilege the past few weeks to visit different groups all throughout our campus just to kind of see what God is doing, trying to be like a fly on the wall and just kind of overhear what's been going on. In fact, I was with a group in Union County. This is us right here. It's all college students, uh, 20-somethings, just kind of learning from them, listening as they were letting these letters kind of seep into their own souls. And then uh, I was able to hang out with a group out in Morris County. This was a group of uh, married couples with kids and just hanging out with them. And one of the things that was so encouraging to me is it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. God's Word still speaks to us, and He still transforms us from the inside out. Isn't that amazing? So praise God for that, and please continue to share with us the stories that you've been going through as God's been kind of transforming us through these letters. Speaking of letters, let's see what we've got in our handy-dandy mailbox over here. Let's see here. So we've been going through these letters that were written uh, from Jesus to the churches through the Apostle John. The Apostle John actually has been kind of uh, been the one that's been uh, writing these down, taking dictation for Jesus. And so essentially Jesus told John when he visited him on the island of Patmos, his prison island, appearing in his resurrected and glorified form, he said this. He says, John, write these down and send these to all the places in Asia Minor to all the cities there and so John wrote letters to places like Sardis and Sardis uh, was a city that Pastor Tim talked about last week it was the sleeping church they had this reputation of being alive and powerful and strong but in reality they were they were really dead they were asleep and so Jesus has this message to the church in Sardis wake up Wake up, get moving, repent, turn back to Jesus, turn back to do the things you once did. Jesus delivered this message through John's writings, and so now John is continuing uh, the letter writing He sends this to a church in Philadelphia. That's actually the church we'll be looking at today. Now, how many of you have gone down 95 so that you can go see the Phillies play or the Eagles? Any of you? No. No? Okay. That's okay. (laughs) That works out because it's the wrong Philadelphia. This is actually not the Philadelphia we're going to. This is center city. But while we're here, you know that Philadelphia is actually known for their incredible cheesesteaks, right? You got to get them with whiz. But here's the eternal question. Geno's or Pat's, right? That's the question. Who's a Geno's fan in here? All across our campuses? Okay, how about Pat's? Anyone? Okay, awesome. Uh, that's great. I am a Tony Luke's fan, so I, it doesn't even fit up here. But listen, we won't, we won't be going to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We'll actually be going to central Turkey, where ancient city of Philadelphia once uh, was located. Now it is the modern-day city of Alice here. That's uh, what's where ancient Philadelphia was. Um, and in fact, if we follow this map here, we kind of can see the, the old Roman uh, route here. For mail. it started in Ephesus, went to Smyrna, Pergamum, and then ended up... In Philadelphia, which is modern-day Alice here, now Alice here is also known for the same thing that ancient Philadelphia was, and that is for their wine. It is a place where known for great wine, a great grape harvest, uh, and the reason for that is this: the reason why they were able to have such great crops there was because of volcanoes. This is a part of the world where there's lots and lots of volcanoes. Um, They're not as active as they were in the first century, but there's still volcanoes there. And what would happen is these volcanoes would erupt and they would send ash all in the atmosphere. And the ash would eventually fall onto the ground and accumulate in the soil, make it nutrient rich. So literally, you could grow anything in this soil. It, It was known for that. And they would grow grapes and have this amazing wine in the region. And so on the one hand, you had this amazing wine, which was great, but you lived by volcanoes. So that was kind of a downside. Um, and you had volcanoes happening there, and this is an area known for their earthquakes in the ancient world, but also even today. In fact, let me show you this picture here. This is actually from 1999 in central Turkey. There was an earthquake there, and literally what you can see is there was this uh, building that was knocked off of its foundation, literally. That's how massive this was. And in fact, a couple, years ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, there was another uh, small tremor that took place there uh, in the same region, a smaller kind of earthquake, So in Philadelphia, if you were living there in the ancient world, even today, you never quite were sure what was going to happen beneath your feet. Was it a tiny hiccup or was it something that was literally going to send your world crashing down? And this is what it meant to live in Philadelphia, a place of great instability and uncertainty. In fact, in AD 17, we got more of this in your group guides, but in AD 17, there was this massive earthquake that leveled the entire city. And it happened again in AD 60. After they rebuilt, it got leveled again. And after the first earthquake, they went back in to rebuild the city. And as they were trying to rebuild it, there were these aftershocks. And the aftershocks were so intense that literally you'd build everything up, and then everything came crashing down. This lasted for 20 years. So for 20 years, the city was in this state of emergency. It was pretty bad. So bad that Tiberius, who was the emperor at the time, actually told the city that you guys didn't have to pay taxes until you were able to rebuild. I mean, imagine this. Imagine uh, that you went to bed and and your whole world was together. You had the temples were were up, your home was up, businesses were up. Everything was was the way it was one day. And then the next day, it was just a a pile of rubble. Everything had fallen apart. And, And so for the people of Philadelphia, uncertainty and instability was the norm. And when they would look out their window and see these broken pillars, it would be this reminder of the brokenness and the devastation that they experienced. In fact, let me get one of these pieces here. Oh, don't want to break it. Or myself, got to eat some more weedies here. But, but imagine this. Like, we have these moments in our lives where an earthquake takes place. Maybe it's in your health or your finances. And all you have left is rubble. How do you rebuild your life when everything falls apart? How do you put the pieces back together? See, that's the question that the church in Philadelphia was wrestling with. And that's why Jesus writes them this letter. He says this, and this is page 35 in your group guides. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write: These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you. Uh, say this with me: "Open door that no one can shut." I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews though they are not, but are liars. There's a lot going on in these couple verses. Let me just uh, break it down for you a little bit. First off, when it talks about this church having little strength, this church was probably only a couple dozen people. It wasn't a large church. And so this was a small church that for the longest time was actually meeting at the synagogues. Now, in cities like Sardis and also Philadelphia, there were a large population of Jews. They had all gathered there, and they had developed synagogues, built synagogues for them to meet in. And you can see a term like this, synagogue of Satan, it kind of feels a little anti-Semitic, but it really isn't. You see, the early Christians considered themselves Jews. They, they thought they were Jewish followers of Christ. They thought that Jesus had, had fulfilled, uh, was the Messiah, had fulfilled the prophecies, and so they followed Jesus. They considered themselves Jews. But the synagogue leaders did not. The synagogue leaders would see the early church and how they weren't observing all the rules and the festivals, and they would see them as a cancer. And what do you do with the cancer? You remove it. And so the synagogue leaders actually threw out all of the Christians, causing literally their worlds to just fall apart and crumble. Parents and children were separated. Siblings were separated. In fact, they had like these funerals for them as if saying, you are dead to us. We no longer acknowledge you as part of our family. You're, You're dead. And so now this little church of a couple, a dozen believers have been cut off, rejected from their family. The door has been shut to them. And if that wasn't bad enough, it actually put them in great, great danger. You see, in the Roman world, especially in the world of Asia Minor, you were required to worship Caesar. That was part of how you did business. It was part of how you, how you did everything. The only group that actually got an exemption were the Jews. And so the Jews were allowed to worship any way they wanted to. And so when the synagogue leaders went to the town authorities and said, these guys aren't part of us anymore, The town authorities are thinking, all right, well, then they better be worshiping Caesar. And so now the church of Jesus in Philadelphia was experiencing all sorts of persecution because what they said was, we can't worship Caesar. Caesar's not God. Jesus is Lord. And so what would happen is that the church in Philadelphia, the Christians in Philadelphia, would start experiencing persecution. Many of them would lose their businesses, businesses that they'd spent their entire life building, gone, gone confiscated, taken away by the Roman authorities. Some of them would have their children kicked out of school and beaten up. Some actually were were rounded up and taken away. Some were beaten, imprisoned, tortured, and they were killed. See, that's what it meant to follow Jesus in Philadelphia. That's what it meant to be a Christian in this place. And they, were and they were living it out to the best that they could. But you see, Jesus saw what they were suffering and he said this to them. See, I have placed before you an open door. I have placed before you an open door. The synagogue may have shut its doors on you. The authorities may have shut down and closed down your lives. But I have an open door. You have your home in me, not the world anymore. You have your world in me and not in the synagogue. Jesus was saying, you have access to me. Whenever we have these earth-shaking events that leave our lives just kind of rubble and brokenness, so often we, we kind of wonder, what do we do with this? And I, I don't know what those earthquakes are for you. Maybe your earthquake was, like the church in Philadelphia, like those early Christians, you built a business. You spent your entire life building it up, and then within a day, the whole thing had fallen apart. A bad decision or You hired the wrong employee that kind of brought the whole thing crashing down, leaving you kind of uncertain, wondering, how are you going to get through? What are you going to do with with, with the rubble, with the broken pieces? Or or maybe you've been working the dream job, and and you've had the corner office, and things were great and awesome, but then all of a sudden, an earthquake happened, and it all fell apart, and now you're walking out with the rubble and the broken pieces in a box that used to be your career. Or maybe you, you, you had this dream of having a family and one that you wanted to hold a little one in your arms and it was really this, this, the desire of your heart. You're having a hard time conceiving. And so you're going and you're getting the injections, you're doing everything physically possible to make it happen and you're still dreaming and you're still hoping and then you go to the doctor for that appointment and the doctor gives you the bad news. It's just not possible. Infertility. and the dream's broken. And you're just kind of left wondering, what do I do? Everything I built up is just a pile of rubble. And that's when Jesus says, when all the other doors are closed around you, I have left for you an open door. I have left for you an open door. See, for Jesus, this open door that he offers to us in the church of Philadelphia is this, I offer you salvation. I I offer you rescue. I offer you a new name. I offer you a new identity. I offer you a new way of living. See, Jesus offered this open door to the church in Philadelphia. They had an open door before them, and they were able to move forward. You see, very similar to Smyrna, Philadelphia was a church that got no condemnation, They got no criticism. They got no warning. They only got encouragement and comfort to to keep going to endure. And the reason for that was they had learned to suffer well. They learned to suffer well. In fact, Jesus addresses this, and he says this in verse 10. He says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So Jesus is encouraging his church. This was a faithful church. They stuck it out in hard times. Now, you know, I'm sure they weren't a perfect church, but they had decided, they got the big things right. They said, we're going to hold on to Jesus. We're not going to deny him. We're going to live the way he's called us to live because he is the Messiah. He's leading us into this new reality, this new way of seeing the world. And in fact, when you see this phrase here, I will also keep you from the hour, it can also be rendered, I will also be with you. In the hour, See, the church of Philadelphia now understood that Jesus hadn't abandoned them. Jesus hadn't left them alone as they were kicked out of the synagogue. Jesus wasn't uh, kind of away from them as they're experiencing persecution and running and hiding from the Roman authorities. But he was with them in their pain. He was with them in their suffering. He hadn't abandoned them. And the very presence of Jesus was with them and enabled them to endure. They could endure when their houses were destroyed and their property was devastated. They could endure when their friends and family cut them off, rejected them, and said they wanted nothing to do with them anymore. They could endure when the authorities were trying to stomp them out and crush them and they're running and they're hiding and they're afraid to die. They would endure because Jesus was with them. Because let's be honest... Suffering is a given in life, right? Whether you like it or not, you will suffer. But you have a choice. Will you suffer well or will you not? How will you respond to the suffering that comes into your lives? Will suffering be the greenhouse where your faith can grow? Or will it be the graveyard where your faith will die? See, when these earthquakes come and they shake us and our world falls apart, it's just nothing but rubble. What will we do? Will you let your faith thrive or die? Will you let your faith thrive or die? And listen, I've seen this happen. You know, I've watched people endure some incredible suffering and in the midst of that suffering, uh, they, were, they, have, they have a response to it. And how they respond to it makes all the difference. I have some friends of mine and um, I've known them my entire li- lives, they're family friends, and uh, and uh, they'd be very involved in church, very involved in, in ministry and serving people, and they were really role models for me in faith. And so, you know, over time though, I started to see less and less of them at church, less and less of them at other kind of ministry things. And I just thought, you know, they just had some kids, things were busy, you know, that, you know stuff like that, like normal everyday real life. Then um, I stopped seeing them all together. And randomly, I actually ran in, into the wife. And so, you know, we were chatting, and I said, hey, what's going on? And, you know, we were just kind of catching up. And then I just said, hey, I noticed you haven't been at church in a while. Is everything okay? And what ended up being a pretty surfacey, light conversation eventually got really deep and really, really heavy fast. And she said, Nathan, if, if I can be really honest and transparent with you, we're not doing well when it comes to faith. You see, we got a diagnosis for one of our kids. He was diagnosed with autism. And this has been an earthquake for our family. My husband's faith is crushed. Uh, We're we're trying to figure out how how to live in this new normal. And, you know, I'll be honest, Nathan, God and I aren't really talking right now. I'm just kind of questioning. I just, I don't understand why God would allow this. And, you know, as she's telling me her story, I, um, my heart was breaking for her. I mean, I had no judgment for her, just, just compassion. Because those are the questions that normally come up when we experienced an earthquake-shattering moment, right? God, where are you? God, why, why would you allow this to happen? God, like, we did all the right things. Where are you in the midst of this? I'm sure that in Philadelphia... The people were asking, when they saw an earthquake come or experienced an earthquake, they said, God must be judging us. Or were the Greek gods mad at us? Did we do something we shouldn't have done? And so as my friends were kind of navigating this on the journey, I tried to encourage them. And I said, listen, I I can't understand what you're feeling. But I love you. I want to encourage you. You can suffer well in this. I started to share with them some friends of mine who've experienced similar diagnoses, similar things that have devastated their lives and their faith. I was sharing with them, you know, I've seen these people who've experienced some things, even some loss of faith in, in some parts of their journey. And I've also seen them say, you know what? We're going to double down on Jesus right now because we need strength to endure. We can't do this on our own. See, my friends, their, their story isn't over yet. and I love that because God is at work in their lives, even in their questions, even in their doubts. Because even in our questions and doubts, God helps us to endure. God helps us to push through. In fact, a great example for me of what it looks like to endurance is from the story of a guy named Scott Hamilton. Let me ask this, how many of you have ever heard of Scott Hamilton? Yeah, Scott Hamilton... Um, had built his career as an Olympic figure skater. He won the gold medal in the 1984 Olympics. And he was an elite athlete. He had built his entire reputation uh, on figure skating until everything came crashing down with a diagnosis that leveled his world, testicular cancer. He, he said in that moment, everything he had built so hard to, to, to achieve had become rubble. And he said that was the moment where he realized that he needed to rebuild the foundations of his life. And that's actually when he became a Christ follower. He actually gave his life to Jesus and it enabled him to face the trials that were to come. Here's a picture of what it looks like to suffer well.
1: I thought I paid my health dues when I had cancer, but this was a whole nother issue. I have a brain tumor. How do I tell my wife? And we have a 14-month-old son. How do I, how do I tell my wife that I have a brain tumor? I would just gotten the news an hour before. I met them at the hotel and I, she goes, what's going on? And I said, I have a brain tumor. Took my hands, and without hesitation, she just started to pray. And it was in that moment I knew where I was going to put everything—my trust, my faith, everything. So the most powerful moment of my life. From that moment forward, we just said, whatever it is, whatever it takes, we'll face this. I didn't see past it this time. I didn't think I would survive. One point, I was starting to really feel weak. And one nurse in particular, I was up at three o'clock in the morning and I just was uncomfortable. And she goes, can, can I get you anything? And I, I just said, no. I go, I'm just a little scared. And She said, do you pray? I said, yes. And she said, what do you say when you pray? I go, well, I just, I just thank God for all the blessings in my life. Do you ask him for anything? No, I just, I just want him to know I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Well, who is God to you? And I said, well, I guess he's he's my father. Oh, you're a father, right? Yes. If one of your children were hurting, wouldn't you want him to come to you for comfort, strength? Yes. So I changed the way I pray now. Uninhibitedly, I ask. I ask to heal. I ask for strength. I ask for courage. I ask for another child. We're talking about miracles. It's after surviving the pituitary brain tumor, it's impossible, practically impossible. I did six injections a week for two years. No luck. We're not meant to have another child. We gave that to God. A month later, we found out that Max was on his way. Miracle Max. When I look back and I see all those little moments in my life where I needed a great deal of strength, I understand that through a strong relationship with Jesus, you can endure anything. I just learned that the only true disability in life is a bad attitude. God is there to guide you through the tough spots. God was there every single time. <laughs> every single time.
0: such a powerful story to me and the part that resonates is when scott said when he first was diagnosed with that brain tumor after beating testicular cancer his wife took his hands and said let's pray and he took whatever little strength he had left and he said i'm I'm gonna put my trust in you jesus i'm gonna take my faith i'm gonna put it in you jesus I'm going to trust you whatever the outcome, whether it's cancer coming back, whether it's infertility. I'm going to take whatever little strength I've got. I'm going to give it to you, Jesus. I'm going to trust in you because I've got nowhere else to go. I've got nowhere else to put this where it's going to last. You see, Scott Hamilton discovered something. When you have a relationship with Jesus, you can endure. You can endure anything when Jesus is your everything. You can endure anything when Jesus is your everything. You see, Scott was experiencing Jesus take his suffering and redeem it. You see, God was making Scott a pillar. You know, uh, one of the things that is such an amazing thing is that God doesn't waste any of our suffering. God doesn't waste any of our pain. He uses it. And, and, and Jesus was encouraging the church in Philadelphia by saying this, Him who overcomes, I will make a what? A pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. Pillars in the temple. If there's one thing the church in Philadelphia understood, it was pillars. They knew pillars because because of the earthquakes and the aftershocks, the church in Philadelphia or the people in Philadelphia were able to figure out a way to build shock Absorbing columns. They didn't always work, but when they did, it was incredible. And so literally, foundations would split, walls would come down, and and the roof would would cave in. The one thing that was left over were the pillars. And so for for the church in Philadelphia, when Jesus said, I'm going to make you pillars in my temple, you know what they thought? They thought, you know, whatever happens, the world may shake, the earth may quake, but we will stand forever because of Jesus. Jesus. We will overcome. Our faith won't just survive, it's going to thrive. Because Jesus is making us pillars in the temple. We're going to be able to overcome. We're going to be able to stand strong. But what's amazing is Jesus gets out his chisel. And he starts to chisel into the pillars new names. He says this, I will write on them the name of my God, And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. What does all this mean? You see, God writes his name on the pillar, on the pillar of you. What what does that mean? Well, you remember when you were kids and your parents would write your name on all your stuff? Like, they'd write your name on your lunchbox, on your water bottle, when you went to sleepaway camp, they wrote it on your underwear, right? So you, and what was the reason for that? So you wouldn't lose it. If you lost it, they knew who it goes back to. In the same way, listen, we've got to catch this. You belong to God. You're his. You're his treasured possession. You belong to him. No one else owns you. You belong to your heavenly father. He's going to take care of you because you belong to him. And then it says that not only do you have the name of God on you, you have the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem. What does that mean? You know, we're all born into a nation, into a country, as citizens of that country. We're part of that nation. But nations rise, nations fall. But the one nation that will never fall is the kingdom of God. You see, we're not just Americans. We're not just citizens of a nation. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. It will never fail us. It will never fall. And we have access to all the rights and the privileges as sons and daughters, as as heirs of Christ. We're part of the new Jerusalem. And, And then we have a new name. A new name that's etched on the pillar. And maybe if you remember when we talked about Pergamum, that new name. Because maybe the world, your boss, your family, they gave you names. Things like rejected, broken, worthless. But Jesus gives you a new name. Chosen. Worthy. Blameless. Holy. Precious son. Beloved daughter. These new names, these new identities... that that aren't just for right now, they're for all eternity. You see, as God is etching these new names on you, remember that our suffering is temporary. It's only a season of suffering. It's not going to last forever. But what will last forever is who you are in Christ. That's an identity that will be here now and always, all into eternity. So whatever suffering you're in the midst of right now, The word Jesus has for you is this, is that you can endure anything when Jesus is your everything. In fact, why don't we say this together? You can endure anything when Jesus is your everything. See, the church in Philadelphia lived in light of that reality. Right before them in their current reality, it, their friends and family had rejected them. The country they lived in was trying to kill them. They were experiencing earthquakes that was destroying their homes and their possessions were devastated. But they lived in light of this reality that we can get through this because Jesus is our everything. Amen? Their certainty was in Christ, not what was happening all around them. All around them was rubble. But they said, we're going to see ourselves the way God sees us. Th- things aren't scarce God is our provider. He will take care of all of our needs. In fact, this little church endured for another 1,200 years. And not only that, this church of a few dozen Christians, hiding, scared. See, one of the other names of the 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 city of Philadelphia was the gateway into the east. This little group of believers, a couple dozen believers, took the gospel, planted churches as far as, as India if church tradition uh, is right this little church with little strength had a big impact that's what God wants to do when you're suffering he wants to take the little strength that you have and transform it he wants to take the little strength that you have and, and use it to fuel his mission because you can endure anything when Christ is your everything in fact, you're going to talk more about this in your groups this week. On page 37, your guide says this. Have you experienced Jesus' comfort in the midst of trials? If so, share this with your group. If you haven't or if you're experiencing severe trials right now, share this with your group and ask them how you can experience Jesus' comfort today. You see, something that's interesting about this is I really believe that this church in Philadelphia was able to last for another 1,200 years because they heard Jesus' encouragement. They needed to hear their Heavenly Father speak to them. For some of you, you're in a season of suffering right now, and you're just sucking it all up. You're like, I got this. I don't need prayer. I I don't need to meet with a group. I got this on my own. I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. But deep down inside, you're not good. And what Jesus is saying to you is, drop the act. Take down the wall. I want to comfort you. Let me comfort you. Let me encourage you. Let me give you strength. Let me heal the broken parts of you. Let me in. And for some of you, you're in groups, and you know people that are suffering like that. And God has made you a pillar. He's made you strong so that you could love and pray for and encourage the people in your life that need it people in your sphere of influence. See, you can endure anything when Jesus is your everything. You can endure financial difficulties because Jesus is your everything. and He's going to provide for you. You can endure struggles with your kids because Jesus is your everything. and He knows. He knows. You can endure health crises. You can endure whatever the world throws at you because Jesus is is, you're everything. And he wants to carry you through the pain. You can endure. You can last. What's the Spirit saying to you right now? Can you hear him? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. For some of you today, you need to receive the encouragement that your Heavenly Father has for you. Stop trying to hold it together. Stop trying to be strong. Take the little strength that you have and just throw it on to Jesus because he cares for you. For some of you, you're thinking, Nathan, I'm the reason why my my life's falling apart. I've made bad decisions. I've sinned. I've screwed up. And what Jesus is saying to you is, my grace is sufficient for you. I want to give you hope and healing. Maybe for some of of you, you need just to be reminded that Jesus is with you in your suffering. Maybe all you see and feel is rubble and brokenness, and you need to be reminded who you are and how he sees you a moment we're going to have the spiritual care teams available. I want to encourage you. If you're in a season of suffering, we want to make the prayer teams available for you. Come. Receive prayer. Let the Spirit of God minister to you. Don't leave here without letting the Spirit of God touch you. Minister to you. Connect with you. Because we need to remember, even if we don't feel it, even if all we see is rubble and brokenness all around us, that Jesus is faithful till the end. Amen? Jesus is faithful until the end. You can endure anything when Jesus is your everything. We pray for you. Holy Spirit, come. Father, across our campuses, we suffer. Different levels, different situations, but we choose right now. We declare right now in the name of Jesus to cast our suffering and our pain onto you. We choose to let suffering be the greenhouse where our faith can grow, not the graveyard where our faith can die. Right now, would you minister all across our campuses? Holy Spirit, just do what you can do. Father, I know words fail, Words don't always connect, but Lord, your spirit does. Would you come and do what only you can do? Change our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.